everyone you are listening to the podcast in conversation with IPR and competition law i am aditya trivedi founder and head of the competition law team of the podcast and your host in this podcast we discuss competition law updates and invite competition lawyers and academicians as our guests it's a podcast based in india and widely listened to around the globe in more than 47 countries let's welcome our esteemed guest for today's episode mr fola kumi been hero doctoral candidate university of cambridge welcome sir thank you thank you sir topic of today's podcast is african free trade areas competition protocol and overview Hello everyone, I am Shubhi Prasthor, Senior Research Fellow of the podcast and your co-host for today's podcast episode. I'll introduce our esteemed guest for today. Mr. Fola Kumi is a PhD student at University of Cambridge, where his research focuses on the relationship between competition law and economic development. Mr. Fola Kumi is also a part-time research associate at Gerardin Partners. Previously he worked as a consultant to Nigeria's Federal Competition and Consumer Protection Commission and also as a senior editor at Cambridge Law Review. He has also worked as a training lawyer in Nigeria and also as a research assistant to Despina Manzeri at University College London. Welcome sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you Shubhi for introducing Uh, sir let's start the conversation for a start can you please tell us about the african free trade areas competition protocol what it is and what it aims to achieve yeah that's a good place to start so it's a document that is an add on to the uh, acfta's uh, uh, agreements which founds the uh, the african free trade area which creates pretty much like a, a common market for the entire african continent and so the the, the goal of the, the the foundational agreements of the acfta agreements is to uh, allow people to send goods uh, services and ultimately move across uh, african borders a lot easier because a lot of um, trade of african countries is till today still with um, external parties it's a lot harder to trade within the continent and there's a lot of reasons for that but the roots of it ultimately is a, a colonial sort of relic and as part of the the agreements there's obviously other agreements that have to be ag- agreed and um, ratified and one of those is the competition protocol there's also the protocol on uh, intellectual property uh, there's also another one on, on investment and th- these three were actually part of the uh, the second round of negotiations for the the ACFTA agreement and specifically the one on competition uh, uh, policy the competition protocol uh, regulates competition within the african common market you can't obviously you can't have a common market and allow businesses to move easily across borders without having a framework that regulates how they compete against one another you need to make sure that you're creating a fair playing field you need to make sure that you're allowing um uh, uh, players that are, are small to be protected you're you're, you're not enabling uh, anti competitive conduct such as cartels to just sort of spread across the continent so these are the things that the the uh, african uh, 
competition protocol tries to do. It has a, a number of specific um, objectives, which include to um, promote economic integration and sustainable development, um, create an integrated and unified uh, African continental competition regime. And I mean, there's many other things, but like, you know, there's, it has to um, develop and strengthen uh, the capacity of state parties as well. So it, it's not just a, a top-down regime. It's actually trying to improve the overall competition landscape on the continent. And in, in addition to that, it has, you know, it's, it's, it's abuse of dominance provisions. It has the, the, the M&A provisions. It has cartels, restrictive agreements. Um, and what, what is quite interesting, which is the um, abuse of economic dependence as well. Right. So thank you so much for introducing all of us to this protocol. And to the listeners, it is important for you all to know that uh, Sir and I were tracing this protocol from the start since its drafting uh, period. And we were in touch so that we could host this podcast and discuss this very important issue because it it will bring new changes to African economy. It will also bring new changes to African antitrust regime. And you all will hear to all the perspectives that we have to discuss regarding the protocol in this episode. Sir, my next question would be that this would be a new institutional framework which will be adopted by the African countries in light of this protocol. How will it affect the African economy? Yeah, so I think, yeah, another good question. I think it's important to just sort of uh, flesh out what the um, institutional framework will be. So it's going to create a new um, African competition authority that has the ability to um, enforce competition law across the continent and to you know, review mergers, to investigate abuses of dominance position. And, and it also establishes a, uh, an African competition tribunal that you can appeal the decisions of the uh, authority to. And, and I think that that's pretty interesting. It sort of seems to be, um, you know, modeled after the South African regime in a way, which has its own specialist tribunal as well that, that comprises of competition experts that can adjudicate on these matters. Um, in terms of how it will affect the uh, African economic outcomes, it, it's, it's pretty difficult to say at this point. I think, of course, one thing is that it will improve or it should improve the uh, the, the competitive competitive landscape um, amongst different players. It should make the continent more competitive. Um, it should sort of supplement the lowering of trade barriers and um, allow people or, or economic entities to um, feel that they have a route of redress if they feel that they've been uh, treated in an anti-competitive manner, but then I think, on the other hand, that, that, that there's this—that's that, one hand, which is sort of the narrative around how um, the agreement and the protocol will sort of, you know, enable growth and um, competitiveness and improve the economic uh, uh, climate on the continent. But on the other hand, it's very possible that, you know, as you lower trade barriers, you create a space where the dominant players are the only ones that can actually 
you know, leverage on their scale and levels of efficiency to actually spread across different barriers. And, you know, we know how these sort of regimes work where um, a dominant player uh, is able to, you know, spread across borders. It can buy up smaller players that maybe, you know, it has legal advisors that can advise it on how to uh, structure a merger that it just sort of flies below the threshold. Uh, and you know it can it's able to uh, present a case before courts to sort of um, uh, it from being seen as anti-competitive. So you know there's there's sort of like the political uh, and reality context as well, where like you know we we don't know whether it would lead to the um, the narrative of you know free uh, freeing competition on the continent or you know allowing markets to work better. Um, it, it can it can really go either way, but I think at the bare minimum, it's a very symbolic um, progression in the sense that we're, we're seeing you know, African heads of states and African competition authorities recognizing that there's a need to have a competition on the continent, and I think you know we hear this narrative about Africa not having a competition culture. Um, I mean, it, it obviously varies per country, but as a whole, we, you know, we say that there isn't a competition culture in the sense that people don't sort of intrinsically value the importance of competition law and um, competition uh, as a way to uh, distribute resources in, in, in the market. Um, you, you, you commonly hear people say things like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if these competitors meet and agree prices. That's just a wise business decision, but actually that's a cartel. But I think what this framework will do is that it sort of uh, crystallizes the fact that uh, competition is actually important and needs to be protected, not just on the national and regional scale, but also on the continental level as well. Right, sir. Thank you for your answer. And I think that yes, the competition culture in Africa will grow and we see that there are other regional and continental competition uh, authorities uh, throughout the globe and African competition protocol will also create another one and it will be in the benefit of Africa, which is the least I could say. Could you please also throw some light on what are the missed opportunities of Africa with no competition function at the center because there was no such authority before? Yes, that's that's the... the, um... The issue that I sort of briefly touched on by, by saying that um, the even though we have a competition framework now, it might not achieve or realize the goals of making Africa a fairer competitive landscape. But at least we have one now, right? I mean, whether it, I'm not sure if it's been um, fully enforced yet, but uh, we have we have you know the, the the final document that's been shaped up. But at, at, yeah, at least it's better to have that than to not have a framework at all, which is has been the case for a very long time. And in terms of the missed opportunities, I, I sort of think back to the Dangote cartel case uh, in uh, Zambia. Actually, it might be a bit unfair to call it the Dangote cartel case, but it was a cartel in the Zambian cement sector that uh, Dangote, who's a uh, you know, famous Nigerian businessman and also the the, the, the head of the uh, 
the Dangote Group, which is a conglomerate that spreads across many interest industries in Nigeria, ranging from cement, flour, fertilizer, now oil and gas, many, many industries, and also across the continent as well. But interestingly, uh, he was uh, able to plead the uh, leniency in Zambia, and they found that uh, Dangote and Lafarge and a, a local Zambian uh, indigenous player had been engaging in um, price fixing in the Zambian cement market. And, you know, that, so Lafarge is obviously not a, it's not a Zambian player as well, so it's a multinational. Same with Dangote as well. And you see this sort of anti-competitive effect happen in one particular country, uh, which leads to the consumers being harmed. You obviously know how important cement is, so you're building houses and buildings. Uh, you know, so we need the price of cement to be low in order for cities to be uh, built, and not just cities, but you know, in, even in rural communities as well, uh, uh, you know, hospitals and, and, and things like that. And we see this happen in in Zambia, and these are multinational players that also play or compete in many other markets. I know for for certain that they compete in Nigeria as well. Um, I'm sure they compete in many other African markets too. And the, if you're able to get into a cartel engagement or relationship in uh, Zambia, in one African country, what's to say that you know you're not able to? also have that same arrangement in another country as well. I mean, you have the, the principle in European competition law of the single economic entity, that, that sort of part of a, a, a group of companies. You know, that, that now we're able to sort of, with, with this new competition framework, it'll be easier to sort of investigate practice like that across the continent and not just have Zambia do its own thing. And then uh, let's say, Kenya and Nigeria don't for whatever reason. So now we can um, intervene more forcefully. So I guess the missed opportunity to answer your question more directly is that there's many anti-competitive practices that would have gone under the radar because we didn't have this unified regime. And I guess another missed opportunity is, well, I'm not sure how much the protocol fixes this, but another missed opportunity would have been the fact that uh, you, you could have divergent decisions on the continent uh, you know so nigeria agrees one thing uh, and um, botswana agrees something else with respect to the same practice the protocol is sort of an attempt to try and make instances like that happen less so that you have more uniformity but there's issues with the protocol which, which sort of might prevent it from doing that i'm sure we can get into that later Right, sir. We understand that there cannot be retrospective effect of this protocol or this uh, legislation per se. But I would say that these are missed opportunities, but there's a bright uh, bright lining, silver lining, we would say, because there are a lot of changes that this protocol will bring and also unite African continent with respect to their competition viewpoint, antitrust viewpoint, and also uh, charging corporations on antitrust offenses if they are alleged. Uh, I would also like to ask you what role will national and regional competition agencies continue to play in promoting fair competition and inclusive growth in intra-African trade? Yes, that's that's the obvious question next because obviously now we're creating a 
continent-wide competition regime so the question is well what happens to what we had before you know this isn't the first time competition law is being introduced to the continent we've had national authorities that date back to the the, the 90s and we've had regional authorities that have been around for some time as well so the protocol is interesting because it actually protects the jurisdiction of national authorities so it says that the uh, continental authority would not have jurisdiction where a national authority has jurisdiction and then it also defines um, conduct with a continental dimension so that's a defined term as conduct that doesn't already fall within one of the regional competition jurisdictions which is also very interesting so it's it's from the get-go uh, recognizing the um, authority of the national and regional agencies uh, and, and also at the, at the same time it's not just that it's setting up a framework where it, it's recognizing the authority and they're not doing anything about it it's actually um, set up provisions as well within the protocol that uh, allow the uh, authority the, the, that's the continental authority to collaborate and engage with the national and regional authorities that also exist but not even just them but also includes sectoral uh, agencies as well that's so, uh, not competition agencies but let's say like the uh, telecoms or communications regulator that has competition powers so that the continental agency can actually collaborate with them and perhaps you know, join forces with them in conducting an investigation or engage in capacity building as well or uh, workshops to try and uh, strengthen its enforcement abilities so it, it's a pretty um, uh, well-rounded framework in terms of trying to on the one hand respect the existing jurisdiction but then also trying to make sure that there isn't this adversarial relationship set up that actually you know these agencies can collaborate together Thank you for the answer and I think in the long run it's going to be very interesting to note out how these competition authorities, the regional and the national authorities and agencies are going to interplay as per those framework set out in the protocol. Now we have yeah. big tech raising big competition concerns globally. So my next question would be regarding the big techs. So I would like to ask that, do you think that the protocol aims or is willing to combat the anti-competitive practices of big tech and large MNCs, particularly having substantial lessening of competition in Africa? Would you please put, would like to put forth your views on the same? Yeah, so the protocol in uh, Article 11 that I mentioned earlier has a distinct provision on abuse of economic dependence it's actually called abuse of economic dependence and any other anti-competitive practices and it's interesting because it it actually sets out to regulate uh, the big tech uh, companies it, it uses the same language as the digital markets act in the eu it, it refers to gatekeepers it refers to um, um, core platform services uh, it refers to self-preferencing and a, a range of different, you know, advertising, paid ranking, things like that. It, it refers to a lot of these practices and concepts that we're now getting used to in the European space. So it, it, it has a clear intention to um, regulate these services. 
I have a bit of an issue with how it goes about doing it because we've seen these practices be investigated um, for many, many years in Europe. Um, we've seen them, the, the outcome of those investigations be challenged in courts as well. And, you know, right up to the, the European Courts of Justice. And these have been very sort of long and drawn out, complicated processes to try and understand, you know, what does self-preferencing mean? You know, uh, you know what, 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 what level of um, uh, um, access should competitors uh, have to private data that is submitted to them on their platform by their other competitors? So, you know, th- these are issues that are being resolved in, in the European context. And these are conversations that are already being had. And of course, African players, so African um, competition authorities in particular, have been attuned to these conversations. You know, the, the competition law community is, you know, thanks to a podcast like, like yours, is having a global conversation. And the issues concerning big tech uh, have sort of seeped into that uh, quite forcefully. But my main concern is that these terms, so self-preferencing, I'll, I'll use that as the main example, uh, are very complicated, right? Like no one still, even in the European context, knows what they mean um, and how they can be applied across different contexts. And my concern is that we've now copied and pasted effectively these terms in, into our competition protocol. And we don't have the institutional experiential architecture to enforce them properly. And I think it would have been a much better approach if we had um, taken it a bit more step by step and um, had our own investigations into the, the big tech uh, companies. If we had then been able to create our own um, abuses or terms and concepts that we found in those investigations and then use that to create I think a standalone regime for regulating uh, big tech as opposed to sort of assuming that uh, we can just ride on the shoulders of what has been done in Europe and I think there is some degree to which we have to do that um, and I, I think it's definitely promising that we already see that, that the, the drafters, that the negotiators of this document have been um, thinking in that sort of way. But I just think we, we don't know how the Digital Markets Act will affect competition in the digital space in Europe. Uh, we don't know whether it would be uh, beneficial or disadvantageous. Um, so I think a bit of caution should have been exercised before sort of putting these provisions and like, you know copying these terms into our foundational uh, document. And I think another issue is that just with the manner of copying is that you know the Digital Markets Act is a very long document. It, it I think it has you know over sixty pages, which include provisions on you know how de- gatekeepers are designated. Um, different enforcement tools that the European Commission will not have just to make sure that the uh, uh, the, the obligations which are in um, articles uh, uh, 5, 6 and 7 of the DMA just to make sure that those are enforced properly 
now we've we've effectively just copied a few obligations and a few terms, gatekeeper and core platform services, and put that here without that border legislative context so that that's another issue as well you know we we could have copied which i mean ideally we shouldn't have copied but we've copied and they're not copied well so that's sort of what i take issue with right sir relevant uh, concern with respect to the issue we are talking about the regulation of big tech and uh, with the, uh, as a follow-up question on the same uh, i would also like to ask that uh, the protocol with an undertaking or groups of undertaking or like the gatekeeper platforms to abuse the relative position of economic dependence be it on customers or suppliers if such conduct substantially affects the functioning or the structure of the competition in the market so what is the threshold or the criteria gate protocol as we have a proper test in, in the, the European jurisdiction. So what is such criteria under the competition protocol in current context? Um, I think the simple answer is that we don't know yet. We don't know how the term gatekeeper will be understood. Um, there's a, a separate provision within the protocol which says that the Council of Ministers will develop a regulation to designate undertakings as gatekeepers or core platforms so i think that will sort of uh, tell us a bit more about what exactly constitutes a gatekeeper but there's there's a we have we have a bit more clarity on what will constitute a position of economic dependence Uh, and there's factors that the presumably the uh, african competition authority gets to take into account in order to determine whether a position of economic dependence has been uh, arrived at. So it takes into account things like the market share, the relative strength, uh, whether there's alternative solutions available, as well as the factors that led to the situation of dependence, which I I think that last one is a bit of a, it's a bit strange because you're trying to determine that economic dependence exists. Meanwhile, one of the factors to take into account is what led to the dependence existing. So it sort of presupposes that the dependence exists already, which I think is a bit odd. But yeah, point point is we have clarity on what um, economic dependence looks like. And I think we also have um, case law as well. I I think of the Care 4 investigation in Kenya that where the, the, the the French supermarket was found to have abused its uh, buyer power by imposing unfair discounts and, and um, uh, trading conditions on its suppliers who were predominantly um, small businesses and farmers and you know in that context we can see how uh, the Kenyan authority applied that that uh, uh, abuse of the, uh, buyer power and I think that sort of uh, can translate quite easily into abuse of economic dependence but we'll have to see how this works out in practice but the point is that i think we've we have more of a um of a a case history and an experiential history with economic dependence whether that sort of extends to gatekeepers and core platform services is another question 
right sir so i think experiences from the past would surely help how the agencies actually put forth the test and actually go ahead also this uh, question is that uh, the competition will uh, significantly enhance the seat of world during the antitrust negotiations so what are your views on the same I think it it will uh, improve Africa's ability to negotiate as one. I think uh, it will, uh, you know, allow us to have more leverage and bargaining power um, when it comes to negotiating with um, multinationals. Um, one sort of case that comes to mind was. Uh, Facebook after the uh, Cambridge Analytica um, scandal and you know Zuckerberg was being summoned uh, in the United States to testify to Congress he was summoned to the European Union as well he was also summoned to the United Kingdom and he didn't go to the United Kingdom to testify in person he sent someone else to testify on his behalf and this was shortly after brexit and you know he was at the eu he testified and he answered their questions in person now i think one of the i mean we can get into a conversation about brexit and whether it's been good or bad i i know i don't want to get into that conversation but i think at least from the uh, negotiation standpoint with such a big company like facebook it's better if you have many countries summoning them or making them uh, comply with their regime um, at once as opposed to let's say Nigeria or I mean maybe Nigeria is not a, the best example because it, it still has quite a, a huge user base for these companies but let's say Botswana for example trying to summon Facebook to uh, come to testify you know it's it's very possible that that might be very difficult for a small country small in terms of population country like Botswana so i think having this uh, these authorities all come together and be unified under the competition protocol will only help the african continent to negotiate better with large multinationals and also with domestic players as well right so the, I, I've been referring to Facebook but of course it helps with negotiating against um, players like uh, Dangote for example right sir so now with respect to the online platforms uh, could you please comment on the general regulation of these online platforms under the competition protocol yeah so it's it's included in the uh the, the article 11 that I referred to and it includes a set of um, obligations um it there's a I mentioned that there's no uh, we don't know how uh, gatekeepers will be designated we don't know what that process would be like but there there is a definition of gatekeeper underneath the it, within the protocol and i'm just going to read it out cuz i have it in front of me 
It says gatekeeper means an undertaking that has a significant impact on the market, operates a core platform service that serves as an important gateway for business users to reach end users, enjoys an entrenched and durable position in its operations, or it is foreseeable that it will enjoy such a position in the near future. So we, we have a bit of clarity of what a gatekeeper looks like, how that will work in practice. You know, I, I, it doesn't, it's not clear what exactly an entrenched and durable position is. Uh, we, we don't know how it in, the, the protocol intends to define business users and end users. You know, these are things that are not particularly clear. Um, h- how do you determine whether something's an important gateway? We, we, we don't know yet. Um, you know, what are the core platform services? We also don't know. So how, how this will work in practice is another question. We, we, we have not as much clarity on that. And, you know, to the point I mentioned before about economic dependence um, and buyer power, we've seen, you know, how this works on the African continent already. We, we have um, cases and investigations to sort of substantiate that point. But then back, back to your question about, you know, how... Um, online platforms are regulated so it's it's a very similar regime to the digital markets act it, you know it has the obligations it, it applies to um, gatekeepers so in that sense it's it's very similar to the dma right so so i think uh, the protocol well covers the regulation of big tech and online platforms and with regard to the definition of the gatekeeper platforms the the terms regarding the entrance or the durable position, I think it would really depend how much we can learn from the experiences in the past and we can make references to the advanced jurisdictions like European jurisdiction. That would surely be, I think African continent has made significant step towards the regulation and this surely has a bright future. So with this, we've come to the end of the question and answer session. And uh, so now I would really like Aditya to take over and really thank our guest for sparing time today. And this is surely going to, you know, benefit our listeners in the long run. Thank you so, so much for spending your time and coming up. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Shubhi. Thank you, sir, so much for... We are glad to host you and we are honored to host you, especially on this very topic that we have been in touch, we have been communicating for discussing this competition protocol. And finally, we have done it and let's see how it is implemented and how it goes. And if it is uh, necessary, then we can also have a follow up podcast on this, maybe after some months, maybe after a year also, because uh, let's see how it is implemented. And we are very much sure. Uh, willing to host you in future discussions as well on competition issues not only related to africa but also global continent and maybe with respect to your phd research and other issues so we are thankful that we are connected and looking forward to future discussions and also your guidance to the podcast no problem at all it's been a pleasure thank you very much thank you so much thank you so much sir